Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series, Blast from the Past, a study through 1 Samuel. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. This week, I went to google.com and I researched something that quite honestly, I've never researched before. In preparation for this message, I got on the internet and I typed into Google the most dangerous place in the world. And I was directed to an article entitled, The 15 Most Dangerous Places on the Earth. Now obviously, they're in this article for a myriad of reasons, but nonetheless, I looked at 15 locations around the world that are said to be the most dangerous. Now, I know that some of you may still be debating about where you're going to spend your summer vacation. And so I want to share with you three places not to go. In the article that I found, the third most dangerous place on earth is Chihuahua, Mexico. This is a city that is infested with drug-related crime. So as I looked at my list, that was number three. Here's number two. This is actually a couple places. It's more of a region in the world. The second most dangerous place on earth is Java and Sumatra, Indonesia. Now what makes this a dangerous place is natural disasters. Everything from floods to droughts to earthquakes to volcanoes to tsunamis are very prevalent here in this part of Indonesia. Here was the number one most dangerous place in the world according to the article that I read. San Pedro Sula in Honduras. This location is known everywhere as the murder capital of the world. So this is a very dangerous place. Now, once again, if I read those three and that just happens to be on your itinerary for this summer, let me encourage you as one of your pastors to regroup and take your family to Disneyland, all right? <laughs> you know, it's really easy through the vehicle of technology to identify dangerous places geographically. But unfortunately, it's not as easy to identify dangerous places from a spiritual standpoint. Today, from the book of Samuel, we're going to look at a at a story from a man's life, and this man, his name is Saul, was living in a very, very dangerous place. So you have a Bible this morning. Let me ask you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28. 
We've been navigating through the book of 1 Samuel, looking at some defining moments in this book. And we're going to conclude this series this weekend and next weekend. And then we're going to move forward with our teaching ministry. If you are a student of the Bible, you know that throughout the scriptures, there are certain verses you come across and their meaning is very, very clear. It's very easy to understand. But if you're a student of the Bible, you also know there are certain passages of Scripture, and when you read them, they're not so clear. And you think to yourself after reading them, what in the world does that mean? So if that happens to you as you're reading through the Scriptures, don't think that you're unspiritual. That means you're normal. There are certain passages of Scripture that are just difficult to understand. Peter was actually writing about that in the book of 2 Peter. Here's what he said in chapter 3. He said, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters. Now listen to this part. In which are some things hard to understand which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. So if you've ever been in a place where you thought to yourself, this passage of Scripture, or this verse of Scripture, or this phrase in the Scripture, it's hard to understand. I want you to know you're in good company. Because one of the disciples that was closest to Jesus thought the exact same thing. Well, why is that? Why is it that God inspired difficult passages of Scripture. Well, I want to give you two reasons, and then we're going to read a very difficult passage of Scripture in the book of 1 Samuel. Here's one reason that I believe God inspired hard passages of Scripture. First of all, God is relational. He's a relational God. And as we pursue Him through the Word, some things are going to come very, very easy but others are going to be harder to understand, and so it will require an intentional pursuit on our behalf. The second reason, one of the other reasons I believe God inspired difficult passages of Scripture is because God is big. God's big. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship a God that I can totally understand. I love that our God is a God of mystery. And this side of heaven, we're not going to understand everything. And there are going to be some aspects of his word that we're not totally clear on. And that is okay. So because God is relational and because God is big, he inspired hard passages of scripture. Now I say all that to say that the passage we're about to read has some components within it that are very, very clear and very, very easy to understand. But there are some other parts of this passage that are very, very difficult to understand. And over the past few weeks, as our teaching team has been studying this chapter of Scripture, on numerous occasions we have said, what in the world does that mean? So look with me at 1 Samuel. Uh, chapter 28, and I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Here's what's going on. 
Once again, the Philistine army is attacking the nation of Israel. We've seen them throughout this book be in battle with the Israelites. Well, it's happening again. Only this time, it appears that David has aligned himself with the Philistine army. And so for those reasons, Saul, who is still leading the people of Israel, is very, very discouraged. And on top of that, the prophet Samuel is now dead. So Saul's in a place where he feels like all the chips are stacked against him. With the Philistine army coming to attack, David aligning with that army, and the prophet Samuel being dead. So let's pick up in verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 28. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. Now what Scripture is referring to here are those people who practiced demonic activity. Verse 4. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. Verse 5. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Once again in Saul's life, we see this characteristic of fear. Throughout his leadership, throughout everything that he did, you see Saul captured with this horrible characteristic of fear. Verse 6, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Verse 6 outlines several ways that God spoke to his people. And dreams, that's pretty easy to understand. Through prophets, people that he had chosen to speak to his people through, that's easy to understand. But there's another reference here to Urim. And scholars believe that Urim were two rocks. One was called Urim and the other was called Thummim. On one side of the rock was written yes, and on the other side of the rock was written no. And when people needed direction, the priest would throw down the rocks, and if it said yes, yes, then that was clear to move forward. Or if the rock said no, no, that was clear to stop. But if the rock said yes, no, or no, yes, that meant there was no clear direction from God. And on a regular basis, as Saul had sought that out, he did not have clarity from God. Now, before some of you think, I need to go buy some of those to get direction from God, let me just say this. That was an Old Testament provision that does not have a New Testament reality, okay? They kind of stole the idea and made the magic eight ball, but that's not exactly what I would call a way to hear from the Lord. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Verse 8. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night and said, Conjure up for me, 
Please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul does something here that he knew was wrong before God. And this lady who practices demonic activity shares the law back with Saul. It's incredible. Look at verse 10. Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, I kind of want to make a joke about verse 10, but it's actually very, very scary. That Saul would say to her in some way, he is in control of the judgment of God. That gives you a glimpse about the dark and desperate place that Saul was living in. Verse 11, and this is, this is where it's about to get real, all right? Verse 11, then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. So something happens, and it scares this woman. She's used to rubbing her crystal ball and lighting some candles, and all of a sudden here, something happens that scares her. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Now here's what Samuel speaks to Saul. Verse 15, Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may know, make known to me what I should do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has departed from you, and has become your adversary. The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute fierce wrath against Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Once again, a consistent message of judgment to Saul. Verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Meaning, this day you guys, you're going to die. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And finally, verse 20. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was afraid very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. And we see Saul at the end of this account laying 
on his face, knowing that his life and his reign are over. Now, there's obviously a lot in this chapter to talk about. And quite honestly, I don't know how I drew the short straw on the teaching team. (laughs) And I got the nod to teach this passage. But there are some big picture things that I want to make sure we all embrace today. And I obviously want to address some of the things that we just read. But every week in this series, we've been giving you a lesson. And this is the big picture lesson that when you leave today, I want you thinking about. We're going to talk about the medium and Saul and the spirit of Samuel. But I want you to really embrace this big picture lesson as you go to your small groups this week and as you think today around this text. And here is our lesson for this morning. When I refuse to submit to the word of God, I am living in a dangerous place. When I refuse to submit to the word of God, I am living in a very, very dangerous place spiritually. What I want to do during our time together this morning is I want to ask and answer three really tough questions about living in a dangerous place. And here's the first one. How do I know if I am living in a dangerous place? I think that's pretty important to start with. How do do you and I know if right now in this moment we are living in a dangerous place from a spiritual standpoint? Well, in the first part of this passage, we see three warning signs that are evident in Saul's life that I believe show us we are living in a dangerous place. And here's the first one. The first warning sign about living in a dangerous place is when I am no longer regularly hearing from God. I believe that a Jesus follower is in a very dangerous place when you are no longer on a consistent basis hearing from God as you spend time abiding in Him. Look back at verse 6. Scripture says, When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim, or by prophets. Now, I want to clarify something. I believe as we navigate through decisions, God usually gives us one of three answers. Yes, no, or wait. And quite often, when he speaks to us and his answer is wait, that can be a very difficult thing to navigate through. And during that time of waiting, quite often you and I can think that God is absent or he's not with us, or he doesn't care, and that could not be further from the truth. What's happening in Saul's life is not God during a period of waiting, holding back from speaking to him. What's happened in this passage is God has spoken to Saul over and over and over, and Saul has repeatedly ignored the voice of God. To the point that ultimately God says, I'm done speaking to you. And Andy Stanley wrote something about this in one of his books that I want to read for you now that hopefully will bring some clarity about how we can apply what the Bible says here in verse 6 into our lives today. Look at this statement by Andy Stanley. 
He said, there exists an all-too-common heart condition that, if left unchecked, will impede character development. The scriptures refer to this malady as a hard heart. Perhaps the best definition I've heard of what it means to have a hard heart came from one of my graduate school professors. He defined a hard heart as overexposure and under-response to the truth. That's pretty good. When we are repeatedly exposed to a particular truth and yet refuse to embrace and apply it, we are actively developing a hardened heart. When we say no to God repeatedly in a particular area of life, we are developing a hard heart. When we hear the truth and hear the truth and hear the truth and keep ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it, our hearts grow hard. A hard heart is not a heart that is necessarily in conscious rebellion against God. It is a heart that no longer feels the conviction of God. And then he says this, it is a heart that has grown insensitive to the voice of God. One of the warning signs that you and I are living in a dangerous place spiritually is that we have grown insensitive to the voice of God. I believe it should be a consistent prayer for us that God would allow our hearts to be so sensitive to His Spirit that whenever He speaks or whenever He puts something in front of us, we are so in tune with Him that we know exactly what He's doing. So that's the first warning sign in these verses that I want us to apply, that we're living in a dangerous place, is when we are no longer regularly hearing from God. Here's a second Warning sign. When I am blatantly walking in disobedience to God. A second warning sign that we're in a dangerous place is that when we are blatantly walking in disobedience to God. Look at verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, the law, the scripture, is very, very clear about this. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, here's what the scripture says. Do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use of sorcery or interpret omens to engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. That was pretty clear in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's pretty clear in 2016. This direction of engaging any type of demonic activity is not God's plan for us. And Saul knew that. So much so that this was something he led his nation to get rid of all of the spiritists and the mediums out of their land. We read it in verse 3. So here's the point we need to apply. It is possible to know clearly what the Word of God says, but still choose to live in deliberate obedience. 
as I read that this morning, if there's something that God has put on your heart and you know in this moment you are living in deliberate disobedience to God, hear me with a heart of love, you are living in a dangerous place. The third warning sign we see in the first part of this passage is this. I'm living in a dangerous place when I have distanced myself from wise counsel. I'm living in a dangerous place when I have distanced myself from wise counsel. Verse 7 goes on. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. One commentator said, Surprisingly, his servants seemed both too willing and too able to help him. Saul had reached a place in his life where he had no wise counsel around him. There was no one who was willing to tell him the truth regardless of personal cost. For you and I, we all need people in our lives who are willing to tell us the truth regardless if it hurts. We should all have people that we have given permission to in order for them to get in our face if we are headed down a path of foolishness. And we see in Saul's life, he had stiff-armed and separated himself from all wise counsel. And that is yet another indicator that he was living in a very, very dangerous place. So out of these verses, how do we know if we're living in a dangerous place? If we are not regularly hearing from God, if we are living in blatant disobedience to God, or if we have distanced ourselves from wise counsel. That means for you and for me, we're living in a dangerous place. Well, here's a second question I want to ask this morning. What are the consequences of living in a dangerous place? I mean, those warning signs are pretty clear. Let's say you find yourself there right now. What are the consequences if right now you're living in a dangerous place just like Saul was? Well, first I want us to understand that rebellion against God always has a consequence. Any type of rebellion against God always has a consequence. And when you and I are living in a dangerous place, two consequences we see here in this passage. First of all, we will go to great lengths to cover up our sin. Look at verse 8. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. He knew that the act he was engaging in was disobedience to God, so much so that he felt the need to disguise himself. The other consequence that we see here is in verse 10, and that is we will justify our sin based on our circumstances. Saul goes to the point to say, listen, to the medium. He says, listen, I know what the law is, but this is different. This is a unique situation, so I need you to do for me what I'm asking you to do for me, and there will be no judgment that will come upon you. One of the consequences of living in a dangerous place is that we try to cover up our sin. 
another consequence of living in a dangerous place is we begin to justify our sin. And it's because of of that tendency within our flesh that all of us have that we see such a strong instruction in the Scripture to walk in tune with Jesus and to put on the full armor of God to face the battle that is raging all around us. Because when you and I live with our guard down, like we see here with Saul, we are extremely susceptible to the schemes of the enemy. Here's what the Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Press into Him. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I believe it is both dangerous and scary to walk through The situations, the decisions, and the temptations of this world relying on my own energy and resources and with my spiritual guard down. Yet that is exactly what we see here in the life of Saul and that landed him in a very dangerous place. Because when you and I are not walking in tune with Jesus and our spiritual guard is down, We consider things, we say things, we meditate on things we would not normally think about if our heart was fixed on Jesus and we're clothed in the armor of God that we just heard referenced here in Ephesians chapter 6. And so I want to be very, very practical because it may be that this morning you're finding yourself in a dangerous place and you're thinking to yourself, how did I get here? Well, I want to outline a few excuses that are typical in my life and probably typical in your life when you are living out of the consequence of a dangerous place, not in tune with Jesus and living without being clothed in the armor of God. I read these excuses in a book by Charles Stanley called When the Enemy Strikes. But here are five excuses that we use when walking in rebellion. Here's the first excuse. Somebody made me do it. If this morning you're finding yourself in a dangerous place and and you're trying to justify it, you're trying to cover it up, one of the excuses for you may be, somebody made me do it. This person who gives this excuse is into blaming others instead of taking full responsibility for his own decisions, choices, and behaviors. Here's another excuse that... You've said, I've said, when when we live with our guard down. God made me do it. Have you ever said that? God made me do it. This person who uses this excuse, in essence, believes God could have stopped this temptation from coming my way. Therefore, God sent this temptation. And I want you to know that lie goes against everything that is taught in the Scriptures. Here's another excuse that You've used, I've used, it's very prevalent. God knows I'm weak. 
Have you ever thought that? When you're living in a dangerous place, trying to justify what you're doing, quite often an excuse we'll use to justify what we're doing is that God knows I'm weak. The person who uses this excuse may not blame God for sending the temptation, but they blame God for his inability to say no to it. Here's another excuse. This is different. This was Saul's excuse. Saul felt like that the situation he was walking through was justifiable and his situation was so different that it did not fall under what we see laid out for us by the commands of God. He thought to himself, this one's different. The person who uses this excuse is being tempted in an, says they are being tempted in an unusual way. Therefore, the normal rules and commandments of the Bible don't apply to them. Here's one more excuse that's pretty common. I've thought about it, so I might as well do it. You may not admit it, but most of us have had that thought. The person who is making this excuse is believing one of the devil's lies in that thinking a sinful thought and committing a sinful act are the same thing. But they're not. That's a huge difference. It's the difference between thinking a bad thought and actually committing a sinful act. So hopefully that is something that puts, their, puts the finger on something you may be saying on a regular basis and justifying where you're living. But here's the point I want you to hear this morning. If you are seeking to find spiritual power or insight in any source other than God, and you are justifying your actions in some way, you are in a dangerous place, and you are breaking the heart of God. I want to say that again. In Saul's situation, it was a medium. It may be in your situation that it's money, or a relationship, or some type of addiction. If you are seeking to find spiritual power or insight in any source other than God, and you are justifying your actions with one of these excuses or with another one, you are in a dangerous place and you are breaking the heart of God. And here's what I believe. If we could see darkness the way that God sees darkness, and if we can, could know light the way that God is light, the excuses we make up to justify being in a dangerous place would not be nearly as satisfying to us as they currently are. I believe that. So those are a few of the consequences for living in a dangerous place. Now, before we ask and answer the last question, I want to speak to um, this bizarre part of the story that we find here in these verses about Saul, the medium, and the spirit of Samuel. And I want you to know this. There are a lot of differing opinions on what actually took place in this chapter. I mean, you can, there's some people that we quote all the time here who are on different ends of the spectrum as it relates to the interpretation of this passage. So there's a lot of debate. And really, the core questions that arise out of this chapter, there are two of them. Did this happen by the power of the medium 
or by the power of God? That's one of the core questions. The second core question is this. Was this the actual spirit of Samuel or a demonic spirit impersonating Samuel? So you can go and read commentaries on this. I believe those two core questions are at the heart of the discussion. And the bottom line is, we don't know for sure. There are some things about God that remain a mystery, and that's okay. But I do want to give you my opinion for what it's worth. My opinion is that this was a very unique work of God, evidenced by the medium lacking the insight to recognize Saul in his disguise. And I want you to know this contextually. The Bible says that Saul was a head taller than everyone else, meaning everyone was 5'3", and Saul was 6'9". So we weren't dealing with a full box of crayons with this medium (laughs) if she could not recognize Saul in disguise. Secondly, the medium responding in shock to what took place, the scripture referring to the spirit of Samuel, meaning the Bible could have used another word other than Samuel, but God inspired the word Samuel. The message of God's judgment being clear and consistent as well as the reality, and this is very important, the reality that there is no demonic power that has any authority over a child of God. One of the commentators that we quote a lot, that we study a lot, is John MacArthur. And here was his insight on this specific passage of Scripture. Though questions have arisen... As to the nature of Samuel's appearance, the text clearly indicates that Samuel, not an apparition, was evident to the eyes of the medium. God miraculously permitted the actual spirit of Samuel to speak because she understood her inability to raise the dead in this manner. She immediately knew that it must have been the power of God. There is no other such miracle as this in all of scripture. So that's my opinion. That's John MacArthur's insight on this specific passage of scripture, but the bottom line is we don't know for sure. However, I don't want us to lose sight of the big picture lesson that is found in this chapter even though there is a section of the scripture that is highly highly debatable. Here's our third question this morning, our final question that we're going to Ask and answer. How do I remove myself from a dangerous place? If you're here this morning and you recognize, wow, I'm I'm in a dangerous place, Pastor. I'm seeing some of those consequences. I'm making some of those excuses. How do I remove myself from a dangerous place? Well, what I want to do as we conclude is I want to give you six aspects of removing yourself from a dangerous place. And I've I've boiled them all down into one word that I want to unpack very quickly. Here Here are six words with each aspect. Own, repent, surrender, evaluate, apply, and rest. Now let's talk that out very quickly. Own, 
If you find yourself today in a dangerous place, I want to challenge you to take responsibility for your mistakes. Don't look for someone else to blame and avoid thinking about what would have been if the other person had acted differently. Instead, take responsibility for your actions. First word, own. Second word, repent. Confess your sin and turn from it. Agree with God regarding your disobedience and tell Him you've sinned. And then repent by turning away from that sin. First word, own. Second word, repent. Third word, surrender. Acknowledge before God that only through Him can you experience victory. This is the place that Saul never arrived at. Saul never got to this point. He was never convinced that God was trustworthy, so he never fully surrendered to him. I love what J.D. Greer said. He said, all of our spiritual problems go back to one of two things. We don't understand how God feels about us, or we don't value that enough. Own, repent, surrender, evaluate. Determine how temptation led to a sinful action and became a stronghold in your life. You need to think about that. How did temptation begin to be a sinful action and then that sinful action turn into a stronghold? You may want to ask some questions like this. Is there a flaw in my thinking? Have I embraced ideas or a worldview that is contrary to the Scripture? Another great question. Do I have any unaddressed insecurity? Are my friends dragging me down? Is someone or something in my life a constant source of temptation? I believe there should be a 360 degree evaluation in your life to determine how did a temptation become a sinful action and how did that sinful action become a stronghold? That's important. Fifth word, apply. Take the necessary steps to avoid repeating the same unrighteous behavior by removing triggers. What are the triggers in your life that you know when those are in front of you, you are more susceptible to moving in the direction of a dangerous place? This may require ending a relationship, finding a new job, returning something you've stolen, removing things from your home or office, Surrounding yourself with accountability. As you evaluate your life and identify triggers, you need to apply that action and take the necessary steps. And then lastly, rest. Once you feel like you have taken the necessary steps, begin growing and striving in your relationship with Jesus and rest, find refuge in His power and in His grace. So if you're in a dangerous place, that is a simple outline of six aspects I believe can help you take steps to get out of that dangerous place. Own it, repent from it, surrender to God, evaluate your life, apply what you discover to put yourself on a healthy track, and then rest in the power, the sufficiency, and the grace of God. Here's our big picture lesson for today. When I refuse 
to submit to the word of God. I am living in a dangerous place. My prayer all week for this teaching is not that we would get consumed with a debate about a medium and the spirit of Samuel, though it's great to talk about. My prayer has been that even in this service, God would heighten our sensitivity to his voice and that if today we are living in a dangerous place, that we would be unsatisfied with justifying our sin and covering up our sin. And we would, in an attitude of surrender, begin to pursue an intimate love relationship with God like never before and walk in His victory, in His freedom, and in His life. Amen.